Isn't that a beautiful story of God's work and touch in our lives of healing? Jane wasn't able to be here today, so we were able to, to share that testimony with you uh, through video. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, after we preached, after I preached and we, we worshiped and reflected on that passage, Jane came and said, I have to share, I've got a, a story I need to share and tell our church and our congregation. A beautiful, beautiful, powerful story of God's work of healing in their lives. Jenny, as you saw there in the end in some of the video, is one of our key volunteers. She comes in uh, about every day to volunteer, to help in the office, and we appreciate her work and ministry among us. Again, a story that reminds us that we are called to continue to pray for healing. We're called to continue to seek and to fight for healing, to seek those doctors and those professionals that can help us as we pray and as we seek the Lord through our journeys and struggles of life. But the question that I wanted us to ask today and to reflect on today is, but what happens if healing doesn't come? At least what happens if healing doesn't come the way we hope and the way we pray and the way we expect or, or, or anticipate that God would work? Just as Jane shared with us in her testimony. I'll never forget this powerful story. I, was, it was, I think it was the first, uh, first uh, semester of my studies at Baylor. And we were sharing around the table. And one of my fellow students worked in, in a hospice setting and care. And it was right when hospice care was, was just beginning to, to be developed and to work out in, in the States. And this would have been in the mid-90s, early 90s. And... Um, I think they were in a, a kind of a residential place where hospice patients were brought into a, a central area, into a place where they could be cared for, and family would be able to come in and, and to walk with them through that journey as they had the, the medical professionals around them. And this fellow student came in one day and he said, I'm really disturbed, I'm really troubled by what's going on with one of my patients. He said, their family is, is a very, appears to be very strong in their faith. They come out of a, a faith tradition, a, a Christian faith tradition that, that believes so much in the, in the power of faith that if you don't get healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. And he said this, this grandmother of the family was dying of cancer. And the family finally confronted her and said, Grandma, because you do not have enough faith, we're going to abandon you. And this lady of faith, this lady who was dying, was left alone by her family. Because for some reason she didn't measure up to the, to the faith expectations. Because, because her disease was not able to be healed the way that they had hoped and anticipated. So the question that we have to ask today is what happens when healing doesn't come in the way that we want it to and expect it to? Well, one of the things we can do is we can blame. We can blame each other. We can blame the person that won't get well. We can abandon the person that's dying, that's sick. We can blame God. Well, the reality is that unless the Lord returns, that, that all of us are going to take our last breath here in this place, in this world. But there's another journey that we can take, a journey that I believe that, that calls us to, to be strong and continue on in our faith. It's, it's the belief that in Jesus Christ, that God always brings healing to us. 
and to recognize that sometimes healing doesn't come in the way that we hope and anticipate and even pray for, but that sometimes healing must come through death and through the power of resurrection. And in those moments, in those moments, we must find the hope and the faith and the courage to walk with the dying and to continue on with the living. Recently read just the other day a, a powerful story about a, a wife who was walking through a, a, a devastating journey of cancer with her husband. And she came to that place where they understood and, and the husband had understood even weeks before, months before the wife, that he was dying. And this wife reached out to a friend and said, I need you to do something for me. I need you to be the one that comes alongside and prays and continues to go before the Lord that healing might come. And until his last breath, I need you to be that prayer warrior for me to pray and to seek after God. But she said, I've been so focused on that prayer that I have neglected and forgotten to walk with my husband through these days. And I just need to come alongside of him and to love him and to nurture him as he dies. But would you, would you be that prayer warrior and continue to pray for healing? The passage we read earlier, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, ends with this powerful thought. Comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with the hope and the promise that we can grieve differently than those who have no hope because we have a hope in Christ Jesus. We have a hope that He conquered the grave, that He rose again from death. And that he will return and that there's a, a future experience of resurrection in which the dead in Christ will rise. Oh, comfort one another with these words and grieve differently than those without hope. Are you familiar with the first resurrection mentioned in Scripture? Does that story ring a bell? You have to go back into the Old Testament it's the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 17, but really the story begins in 1 Kings chapter 16 when we're introduced to King Ahab. And here's what the scripture says about King Ahab. It says that King Ahab did evil and provoked the Lord more than any other king before him. Wow, how'd you like that on your, your tombstone, right? This was not a good king. The king of Israel, the king of northern Israel, and in the midst of, of King Ahab's evilness and provocation of the Lord, the Lord raised up a prophet, a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah came before King Ahab one day and said, hey king, it's not going to rain anymore until I say so. And what transpired over the next two and a half years was a time of drought and of famine in the land because of a wicked king. The Lord tells us, the Lord told Elijah, because the, pro, the, the, because the drought is coming and because the king will be after you, you need to seek refuge and shelter east of the Jordan River at a brook called Cherith. And there you will find that the ravens will come and they will feed you and you can gather drink at the brook. 
And so Elijah fled, and then after some time, the scripture says that, again, implies that the drought was so great that the creek dried up. And the Lord came to Elijah and said, you need to go west now. You need to go to Sidon, which is modern-day Damascus on the Mediterranean coast, to Zarephath. And there in that small village, you will find a widow. And so Elijah made his way, and certainly he found a, a, a widow, a single mom, who was collecting sticks. And as Elijah was prompted to go to this widow, single parent, began a conversation with her and she said, oh, I'm collecting sticks so that I can go and make a fire. And we have just enough flour and we have just enough oil for me to make one more piece of bread, one more cake of bread that we can eat and then we're going to die. Single parent widow struggling with poverty. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Even in our nation, this continues on. Even in our world, it continues. And this widow woman knew that in her poverty that she had spent all of her resources and she had no other options. And so she had come to grips with the fact and the reality that she was going to go home, fix a last supper, a last meal, and then her and her son would starve to death. And Elijah assured her that the Lord had sent, her, sent him and said, if you'll take a little bit of that flour and a little bit of that oil, and if you'll prepare a, a cup for me, a, a cake for me, and if you'll bring me a, a, a small cup of water, then you can be assured of this promise. You can be confident that from that point on, there'll always be just enough flour to make another cake, and there'll be just enough oil to, to, to mix together to make another cake. And God will be faithful in this, and God will provide this for you until it rains again. And so this widow woman who was about to, to prepare her last meal took a small portion out of that and brought a drink of water and brought a piece of cake of bread to Elijah. And she discovered that God was faithful and, and God would replenish that, that, that flower pot and God would replenish that little jug of oil so that there was always just enough. And the scripture says that, that she was able to feed her household for an indefinite period. But then one day, one day her son got sick and he got sick to the point of death. And this son of hers died. And Elijah came back. And in her grief and in her anger, she'd already prepared once to die. And she thought that, that her and her son had, had been saved from that. And now she's grieving the death of her son. And she says, oh, man of God, what have you done? You have come. And the scripture says it this way. You have come to me to bring my iniquity and my sin to my remembrance. And you have put my son to death. Isn't it interesting? That sin and guilt and death always seem to be inextricably linked. And because of this, what we need is grace and mercy and forgiveness resurrection from the beginning from the creation story the scripture says from the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will surely die when you disobey me when you sin you will die 
Paul says in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so whatever happened in this lady's life, she, she thought she assumed. And as Jane reminded us in that beautiful John 9 passage, is that, that, that illness and, and, and that kind of, those kind of needs don't come and don't happen necessarily because of sin. But for some reason, when this young son died, this woman was reminded of her own sin and her own guiltiness before the Lord. And she made the assumption that that was why her son had died. You see, we're all destined to die. We're all destined to die because the consequence of sin in this world is death. Death that comes in so many different ways. It can be relationally. It can be spiritually. And yes, physically. And as Elijah discovered this news, he offered a gift to this woman, an act that anticipates and foreshadows the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day. For Elijah went up to where this, had this young man brought up to his room. And there the scripture tells us that he stretched himself upon the child three times. And he called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. Three times stretched out over this young man who had died. Elijah cried out, Let this child's life return to him. And there, for the first time in scripture, this young man experienced a resurrection, a, a newness of life. He was raised and returned to his mother. And as the mother experienced it, she greeted her son. She cried out to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. She experienced the resurrection of her son. Now certainly we know that sometime later in life, he may have grown and, and lived to be a, a wise older man, but at some point he would have died again. But now, the scripture tells us that we can grieve differently than those who have no hope because the Lord Jesus has defeated the grave. On the third day, he rose from the grave. Grave, And now this too is our hope that we can have victory. We can conquer the grave because Christ has already done that for us and on our behalf. And now as we experience death in this world, in Christ Jesus, we can do so with the hope and the promise that we too will rise again to be with the Lord to be with those who've gone before us. There in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, the scripture says and describes what I would call our hope. The essence of our hope. Verse 17 is that we shall always be with the Lord. Now remember the church at Thessalonica, Jesus had gone on and, and they were expecting him to return any day. And so this passage is, is developed and comes about from Paul because the, the members of the church are beginning to die. And the question is, well, what about those who are dying? Are, are they not going to be able to experience the return of the Lord along with us? There'd been a separation. The Lord had gone on. And they were separated from the Lord that they loved. And the promise and the hope that we have in verse 17 is that one day we will all be with the Lord. And we will always be with the Lord. Again, this passage seeks, speaks to the separation that we experience with God and with all those who've passed away.
If you would, turn with me to Revelation 21. Just read a, a couple of these verses at the first part of the chapter. John, in his vision, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. The word sea there is that word for separation. Death separates us from one another. When Jesus ascended into heaven, there was a separation between the physical humanity of Jesus and us. Now we continue to read in verse 3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men as we see the new Jerusalem ascend from heaven. The tabernacle of God is among us and He will dwell among them. Referring to Christ, He's come down, He's ascended and they will be His people and God Himself will be among them. And here's this picture we have of resurrection and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain and the first things have passed away behold he who sits on the throne says this behold I am making all things new so the Lord Jesus so so Paul says to the church comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another that one day this separation that we've experienced will, will no longer exist. That Christ will return and we will be with Him forever. And in His coming and returning, He will bring with Him those who have gone on and passed before us. Comfort one another. I'm reminded that the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. And so it's in the Spirit of God that we find comfort. It's in the Spirit of God that we can comfort one another with these words. Church, we grieve differently. But let me assure you that we still grieve. Even if temporary, death stings. Our loss and our separation hurts. It's hard to, to move on with those that we have loved and that have loved us. So yes, we grieve. But we grieve differently because we have hope. And so our tears of joy can mingle with our tears of sadness as we move forward and as we experience the life that God has called us to. I'm reminded of how we can grieve and how we can continue on. We continue on until He comes. Until He returns. Turn with me if you would to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. It's a familiar passage. It's a passage of, of the Lord's Supper. And what I want us to understand this morning is that the Lord's Supper is a gift for us. It's a gift to us. It's to be shared together in fellowship, in community as the body of Christ. But listen to the words that Paul shares about the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Until he comes. We share his broken body through the bread. Until he comes, we share the cup of the new covenant. The shed blood. You see, we have a hope and a promise that He will come. And because of that, we can live and continue each and every day until He comes. Because we know that He will restore and renew and bring new life to us. Even these earthen vessels that chip and crack and break and die. In resurrection, we're restored to new life. And this is the hope. And this is the promise that we have. And for this reason, this morning, as a part of our service of hope, we share together in the Lord's Supper. And so we invite anyone and everyone who professes Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior to join us and to share with us in this meal. In these moments, I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward and and to make their preparations to serve us. And as they do so, I would invite you to take a moment to pray and to prepare yourself to receive His Supper.